Wow. Good morning. Um, my name is Josh, uh, one of your pastors. It is it is good to be here. It's been a little while for me, and it's uh, honestly it's pretty humbling to come up uh, after we've had Rich for so long. I I don't think I've earned the right to be able to sit in the stool yet, but uh, after. I don't know, after 30 years, maybe I can sit. I, I think I need to sell myself a little bit more. It just kind of comes out of him. So, um, But honestly, it's, I, I think the longer that I sit under, um, under Rich, I think the more humble uh, that I am becoming, seeing that um, just, just leadership and the love that comes from someone who loves God so much and knows his words so well, um, it really is humbling and feels somewhat awkward for me to get up and say, okay, now it's my turn. Um, so thank you, Rich. I, I love this guy. He's done well and just really appreciate him leading our church. And thank you for the opportunity for me to be up here. Uh, I will say, yeah, thank you, Rich. And Carolyn. Carolyn is very much uh, a part of the package deal. You don't get rich without Carolyn. Um, and, and that's a good thing. She is just a sweetie. So... Um, love both of you guys very, very much. Um, thank you. So uh, we'll be in Ephesians 2. I, I know we just got out of Ephesians last year, but I love that book. Uh, so we'll be in there. I just want to say up front and kind of apologize a bit. Uh, if you're kind of wondering uh, why we just broke this rhythm and why I'm up here, um, this, this was planned. This isn't something that just kind of came out of nowhere in September, I think. We had it on the docket that I'd be carrying uh, the majority of January. And it, it's just on us for forgetting to let you guys know. And we really we want to move away from kind of this game of let's show up Sunday morning and see what's going to happen. Uh, I, I just don't think that's really fair uh, for anyone here. We want us to kind of own it. And uh, I think a big part of that is knowing what's going on. So uh, just sorry. Uh, here I am. Uh, I'm not that sorry about that part of it, but we we did want to kind of bring you into what's going on. So with that said, here's kind of a preview of the next couple months, just so that you know. And then if you're a consumer, you can kind of take that and do with, if, with it what you want. Um, I hope that you wouldn't. But so I'm going to be finishing out January. I'll tell you in a bit what that's about. Uh, after that, we've got Rich for a week. Then we have the Brazil missions team. Uh, they're going to be sharing about their trip on the 8th of February. We'll have Rich for a couple more weeks after that. And then in the month of March, uh, we have Go Focus Global Outreach. Uh, really looking forward to that time. Uh, after that, Rich will carry the weight as usual, uh, unless the senior pastor search team uh, gets another gold star and gets someone here by then. I don't know. We'll see what happens. So anyways, life is good. That's what's ahead. Uh, this is what we're going to be doing uh, in our time in the month of January. So uh, like I love to do and what I often do is we're going to kind of slow things down a bit. I'm going to say, okay, let's, let's breathe for a second here and ask some, some big questions, uh, particularly because this is the beginning of the year, um, and, and I love asking these questions. We're going we're gonna to start with the church. Why the church? That's what today is about. Um, and I, honestly, I have struggled and struggled and struggled with this sermon um, for so many reasons. I think uh, it's just, it, this is the longest stint that I've gone in the past decade almost where I haven't preached. So I just feel rusty. And but what that also means is I just feel pent up like I've got like so much that wants to be said. And, and you take an issue like the church, an issue that could really be preached on for 
years. And, and I'm thinking, okay, I got one week for the church. It's just so unfair. So all week, I mean, I've just literally been cutting and throwing away, cutting and throwing away to this morning where um, I'm cutting more and throwing it away so that like I'm not all over the place. Uh, I, I really want it to be very, very simple. Uh, and and because that's true, I'll just tell you right now exactly what I'm hoping to do. So if I don't do that very well, at least you'll understand what I'm hoping to do. Um, the church exists to show the glory of God. That is why the church exists. The church exists of people saved by grace. That is my entire sermon. I'm, I'm going to build that out a bit, but if, you, but if you're really confused by what I'm doing... The church exists to show God, to show His goodness, to show His mercy, and it exists of a people who are saved by grace. you got to get the grace. We are a people saved by grace, and that sets us free from a thousand things. It set me free from feeling like I have to live up to this guy, because I'm saved by grace in the same way that he's saved by grace. It sets me free to, to feel like I have to kind of move you guys to a certain place in order for you to respond, because that's not on me. Grace sets us free. So that's what kind of today is about. Um, next week, we're going to be talking about fasting. We're going to be talking about prayer. Um, just a little warning for next week. This is kind of like when Pharaoh gets the dream uh, and you get the seven years of plenty. Eat a lot this week because next week we're going to ask you to fast a little bit. Um, you can do that in different ways, but that's just, just a word of warning for next week. The whole city is going to kind of take on this, the shape of fasting and prayer, and we're very much a part of the city church and what's going on there. So um, be thinking about that this week in preparation for next week. Uh, the last week of January, we'll finish out uh, with worship. What is worship? Why are we worshiping? Why do we gather to worship? What's that about? And that'll culminate in our night of worship, Refuel, um, which is on the 25th. We, we want all of you guys to be here, kind of that big corporate time of extended worship. Uh, in fact, you can sign up for that today. So uh, that's kind of where we're going. Um, it's, it's good to be back in January. I, I love January. Anyone else here love January? I mean, for me, it feels like January is the one month out of the year that I can just breathe a little bit. And then it's like February comes. My wife's birthday is on Valentine's Day. So it just starts out hard for me. And then just, <laughs> boom, it just keeps going all year. But January, it's just like, ah, oh, no one's visiting. Like, it's, it's raining, so I can't do that many projects outside. Uh, I feel like I'm just... Okay, I can breathe. And particularly this year, this year was a lot. We, we went, I, I went to Uganda with the team from here. Uh, we're going to be sharing about that. This is a reminder for me. We're going to be sharing about that next Sunday in the evening. So come back. I'm also going to be preaching about that in March. But if you want to see the pictures and hear the stories uh, from everyone, not just me, I would recommend that. Uh, far better perspective. Come next evening. So just an incredible time. And then over Christmas, went down to California my baby sister got married, and that just makes me feel old. Um, I swear she's still 11, but apparently she's 25. Um, 
and just a really good time with the family. It was, it was really fun because, you know, I'm, I'm thinking like I'm probably going to do the wedding because she's always talked about, okay, you're going to do the wedding and, and you just think what that's going to be like. And, and luckily I didn't have to. Uh, so I just got to participate. I just got to uh, be there, which is so fun for me. Um, I got to do a little bit. The, the pastor uh, came up to me at rehearsal and he says, hey, um, they, they want you to do something in the wedding. Uh, do you mind talking? I'm like, I, I love talking. Yeah, what do you, what do you want? And uh, he says, well, their only request is that you don't do anything from 1 Corinthians 13. <laughs> like, that's literally all I was given. You can do whatever you want except 1 Corinthians 13. So I went to Ecclesiastes 5 and just had a ton of fun with it. It was good to uh, be a part of that wedding. And now, now we're just back here um, loving the month of January. Um, so let's jump right in. Let's pray and uh, actually open up the Bible here. Would you pray with me? Father, um, you are so good. That's what today is about. Today is about looking at your, your goodness, uh, your faithfulness, your holiness. God, your, your infinite wisdom in choosing to display yourself through a broken people. God, your infinite love in saving us despite us. God, we at one point were far from you. There, there was a massive dividing wall of hostility that none of us could cross. And Lord, you broke that wall and you brought peace where there was no peace. And what that means is, God, I have a lot of freedom in my life now. I, I'm free to worship. I'm free to, to live life because I know that, God, it's, it's not about me. It's about you. Lord, that brings a lot of joy. I pray that my words today would be clear. Um, God, I pray that my, my thought process would make sense. And through all of this, Lord, I pray that we would lift up your name and love you well. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Um, so our, our question for today, the kind of million-dollar question is, why the church? You know, why, why, why do we gather? Why do we exist? Um, why are there so many different churches? And we're going to kind of do two different big things. We're going we're to look at kind of the history of the church. How did we get here today? And then we're going to ask why. You know, what's the point of all of this? And, and I think it's an interesting question. I think the church is so interesting. First of all, um, it's one of the only aspects of kind of the Christian faith that we can physically observe. It's very interesting. We, we can, we're, we're a part of the church. If you're here today, I, I think it's fair to say that you have a vested interest in being here. Uh, no one made you come here uh, other than maybe the person sitting next to you. But outside of that, like you're here, you chose to be here. You could have been a thousand other places, but, but you're here. And, and we can experience it and we can see it and we can taste it and we're a part of it. But but why? Why the church? And, and why so many of them? You ever, you ever thought of that? Why are there so many churches? It, it seems like, you know, on your way here, you, you pass 20, 30, 40 different churches. Why so many? Um, you know, in, in our experiences, we've been a part of a lot of different churches in this room, right? I mean, I'd, I'd imagine just looking around um, that we've been a part of thousands, maybe tens of thousands of different churches, perhaps, between our whole congregation here. I mean, I, I think through my experience in church, and uh, I'm 30, so I haven't been around that long, but, but I've been a part of a number of different churches, and all are so very, very different. Um, I remember my first church very well. 
Um, it was the church that I was saved in. I remember very, very clearly that whole moment. I, I love that church. It was, a, it was a large church, a couple thousand people in Stockton, California, where I was born. Uh, I don't like to say that often. It's kind of embarrassing. But I was there. Um, Quail Lakes Baptist, great church. Um, my family moved to Northern California, where we then went to a very different church, a, a small kind of church plant. Eventually, it grew to a couple hundred people. I was there about 12 years, kind of my, uh, my growing up, if you will. It was, a, it was a dear church to me. I love that church. I, I know many of those people still. Many of them uh, have played just key roles in my life, that pastor in particular. Um, then went to university, was part of a church, uh, I'd say very much like this, uh, kind of same size, same kind of philosophy, uh, evangelical free church of Orange in Orange, California, which is now, I think, called Taft Avenue Baptist. Went on the website the other day, just kind of checking it out. But uh, moved again from there to just a massive Presbyterian church, was part of a I was on staff at, at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church in Newport Beach. Um, I think we had a budget, and I could be wrong because I wasn't that high up in the staff, but around 10 million bucks. I mean, it was a large church. who was, We were doing a lot of things there. Uh, and then from there went to a church plant in a living room of about 12 people with a budget of $17, uh, all of which went towards communion wine, um, which we celebrated often. So... Um, just very different experiences from there, went to Korea, was part of a, uh, English church, was the, the, uh, pastor there or uh, speaker there and now here. So, uh, just th- those are the churches that I've actually been on staff at or been a member of, uh, very, very different churches, very different people, different styles. And those are the ones I've been a member of. I've, I've been to, I mean, I, I don't want to exaggerate in my mind, I'm thinking like 50 churches, maybe a hundred. I don't know. I've been to many. I, I can't think of more than two Sundays that I've missed church when I haven't been sick and I rarely get sick. And now when I'm sick, I still have to be here. So, um, when we go on vacation, my wife and I, it's, it's not unusual. This has happened before where I'm like, okay, let's try to go to two churches because we can go see different things. So we'll get up early, go to the first service of one and then go to the second or another. So I've been to many different types of churches this year alone. In uh, April, I walked into a uh, Catholic mass in Cusco, Peru, of one of the oldest churches in all of South America. I mean, just a massive church. You, you walk into this church, and it has wooden doors that are taller than our ceiling, that are probably, I don't know, eight inches thick. I mean, it feels like you're walking into a castle. And, and just, you walk in like 50-foot ceilings, like just massive paintings and huge statues and incense and robes and thousands of people and suits. And I mean, you, you walk in there and you just feel tiny. You know, people worshiping God. And then last month, walking into a church uh, in Uganda where you don't have 50-foot doors. you got to kind of duck under uh, the, the roof because it's super short. And you got a bunch of barefoot kids banging on drums. And we're all singing to the same God, most of us. We're all worshiping. We've got the same Bible. How did that happen? It's an interesting thought. I mean, there's so many different people. Why, why did God do it like that? And, and really, how did that happen? How, how, how did we get here today? How is it that it's, you know, if you, if you kind of grew up in the church, like maybe it's just kind of that regular thing and you don't really think about it. Like, I show up, it's Sunday. You've got to go to church. That's what you do. It's Sunday. 
But there, there's a lot of people in our community who, who really don't think about church at all. Why, what is the church? Why, why does it matter? Why is it so important? How did we get here today? So let's, let's go Ephesians 2. Paul gives us a, a quick history of where the church came from. And then he's going to tell us what it's for. So let's go Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to start in 11 here. Follow along. I'm reading 11 and 12. He says this, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. He says, remember that you were at that time separated from God, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. We're going to talk a bit about this concept of, of having no hope here. I think it's such an important concept. We'll get back to it in a bit. But, but you and I, every single one of us in here, we're not a part of the Old Testament commonwealth of Israel. None of us. There, there's not one person in this room. So, so if Paul's words here are true, we were without hope. We, we didn't have the revelation from God. We were on the outside. Some of us felt that. Some of us felt the fact that, that we were without hope through our life, through our choices, through our upbringing. We, we knew. It was just very evident, very clear that, that you and God had nothing to do with one another. Some of us were deceived. Some of us were fooled. We thought that since we grew up in a Christian home that, that absolutely I'm not alienated from God. I'm not separated from Him. But the fact is, every single one of us, at one point or another, some of us possibly still now, were separated from God for eternity, without hope. But then Paul goes on to say how that changed. We're going to get there. But I want to talk about this idea of being outside the covenant of Israel, outside of this Old Testament commonwealth of Israel, because that's essentially where God's economy starts. And you and I were not a part of it. So how did God originally start working through a people? Right now we say that the church is a people, don't we? We, we don't say that the church is a building. We know that that's foolish. When we say uh, Northwest Hills, we're not talking about 3300 Northwest Walnut Boulevard. We know that this place is going to collapse maybe sooner than later. We've got a lot of rot going on around here. Eventually this place is done, right? I mean, the wood's going to turn into... I don't know what it would turn into, cellulose and carbon and sugar, and there'll be some lead paint chips floating around, but there will not be much left. But the church is its people, right? And so where did that originate from? How did God call to Himself a people? So we're going we're gonna to quickly work through this. So God calls uh, the, the world into existence, right? The very first people. God creates Adam and Eve, and God, and God is in communion with them. He knows them. He walks with them. They love Him. All is well. And then they break God's commandment, right? And so instantly, relationship is shattered. And, and I've said this so many times, and I think it's so important to get this context. God promises to those people that He will restore what's broken. And half of the Bible... Is, is a story, the whole Old Testament is a story of how God creates for Himself this people, this whole nation, this whole um, people group of Israel, of the Jewish people, where through that people, God slowly starts to show who He is to the world. 
And we see this story progress as, as after Adam and Eve, this, um, the world grows and more and more people. We've got kind of Noah who comes on and then Babel. People try to reach God and God separates them all. And then finally we get to Genesis 12 and God says to one random guy, you got one guy, Abram, and God says, okay, you're going to be, you're going to be the starting point. I'm going to, I'm going to start this nation through which this Savior is going to come through you. And from Genesis 12 through the rest of Genesis, we have this family who's growing and growing and growing. You know, you've got Israel, you've got Isaac, you've got Jacob, you've got Joseph. Um, and through the end, you've you got a couple million people now. And throughout the whole thing, God is slowly starting to reveal himself to this one family. Just this one family. There's, there's a lot of people on the world, but God is, is showing himself to one individual family here. And this family is growing and growing and becoming a large people group to where the end of Genesis, you've got the text says 600,000 men. So somewhere around 2 million-ish people. Um, if you know the story, you know that at the end of Genesis, um, next you have Exodus and uh, these people are enslaved and God says, OK, through Moses, we're going to go and we're going to we're going to get you out of here and we're going to actually establish this nation as a people. And you've got uh, kind of what follows of uh, Exodus and then Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, where God is really establishing this whole culture. Where he's he's telling them about who he is. He's establishing law. He's establishing offerings. He's establishing sacrifice. And, and to these people, he's saying, this is how you are to live. Um, and he, he shows him what is right. And, and he says, when you break this law, um, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to repent. This is how you need to come before me and say, I broke what was right. And this whole system of sacrifice. And you've got all kinds of sacrifice. All pointing to the fact that we are broken. All pointing to the fact that we are constantly messing up. All pointing to the fact also that God is holy. And in order to be in relationship with him, Justice needs to be upheld and punishment has to be given to those who who break God's promises and God's commandments. And so all of these sacrifices are pointing forward to this hope that the people are waiting for. All of these promises, um, all of these sacrifices, all of these offerings are pointing towards Christ through this people group. Eventually, this people group grows. You've got kind of um, Joshua, you've got uh, Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, where, where this nation really is being established, where they have kings, where they establish worship, where they have a temple, um, where God establishes Sabbath. So you kind of uh, begin this rhythm of, of once a week setting apart time. All right? Sound familiar? Setting apart time, meeting with God, where, where they are remembering who God is and what God told them to do, where they are um, repenting, where they're confessing, where they're sacrificing. All of this throughout all these stories, and the story keeps growing, and the people keep growing, and God is still working through one people group. Again, there are people all over the earth, and God is working through this one people group, the Jewish nation. That nation somewhat falls apart eventually. Um, you've got a, a dividing of the nation. Eventually, uh, Assyria comes in. Eventually, Babylon comes in. Uh, they're kind of given some freedom to go back and restart again, but for the most part, not quite the nation that they once were, but you still have a remnant of people who are waiting for this Messiah, waiting, longing for, for this kind of restored uh, people. They're hoping to be restored back to God. 
Then what happens? Eventually Babylon gets overtaken by Persia, who gets overtaken by Rome. And at the height of Roman occupation, what did we just celebrate last month? In the small town of Bethlehem, the Savior was born. Jesus Christ came. The the promised Messiah that this whole nation, that this whole people group was waiting for, finally came. I mean, just a massive, massive change in history. Paul tells us what happened when Jesus came. Um, We read this in verse 13. But now, this is kind of the now, like, okay, you've been waiting as a people group, but now Christ is here. This is what happened in 13. Christ Jesus, he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I want to I slowly read um, some of this in a bit here, but this is such a huge change for the world. It, it's such a change that we can kind of go through Christmas and, and, I, and I think not really grasp the full weight of, of the massive change that happened when Christ came. Because God was working through one people who are all looking forward, salvation through Christ, and Christ comes, tears down this dividing wall of hostility for for everyone outside of that people group, a.k.a. you and I, and now we look back to the cross for salvation. So everything changes when Jesus comes. Everything changes. We were far off. We were outside of the commonwealth of Israel. And like I said, we need to feel that today. We're going to get to grace. But we need to feel how separated we were from God. Like I said, some of us, some of us felt that. Some of us knew, I, I have no hope here. I, I'm totally outside the Lord. But many of us, I, I think, because I know a lot of us, many of us kind of felt like, you know what, me and God, we're okay. I was dunked. You know, when I was pretty, pretty young, maybe my parents dedicated me early and, you know, all, all is well. I grew up in a good home and, and there, there might, might have been this pretty tall wall between me and God. But you know what? Um, I showed up to church every Sunday, so that got me a little way up the wall. And I read my Bible occasionally, so that got me a little way up the wall. And, you know, I'm a pretty nice uh, friend, so that got me a little way up the wall, only to realize that none of that will get you over the wall. And when you count on that, the fall is going to hurt a whole lot more the higher up you get. And Jesus came to destroy that wall between us and God. And really for the first time for those outside of the nation of Israel, which is massive. 14 says this, it says, For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Remember the whole law, all the law pointing to the fact that that, um, we keep messing up, that punishment needs to be paid for. Christ paid for that. That's why the law is no longer necessary. So that, 15, he continues, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us to God, or both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. There were multiple times when just 
kind of thinking through and writing this out, I just, I'm, I have to stop when I get there and just weep. I mean, honestly, the, the whole idea that, that I was outside of everything and now I have peace. It's very possible that I, I don't do a good enough job explaining that. But I, but I don't think a human can explain that. I, I think you have to experience that. And I think you really have to believe how and, and know how separated we were from God to understand how good that grace is in Christ. When Christ leaves, he, he promises something. And we're going to get to Paul's explanation. He promises that he's going to build his church. Paul talks about it a bit here in 18. It's a little bit hidden in the language, but we're going to read it. I'm going to explain it. He says this. He says, for through him, we, that's Jesus, we, you and I, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And here's key in him. You also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. That's the church. He's he's building us together in him. A people who are far off and a people who are near, a people who are separated from God. God's bringing together to be a dwelling place for God. This is the, the inauguration of the church. This is Jesus leaving, saying, therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Making disciples, planting churches. He, he tells Peter, he says, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's the promise. He comes and, and when he leaves, he says, I'm going to build my church. And this church is going to show my glory. It's going to show my goodness. This is a collection of all peoples everywhere who put their faith in me. Such a huge change. Such a change. And we get the story in the book of Acts. So, so after Jesus leaves, we've, we've got Acts and we've got the story through, through that book and through the letters from other um, epistles. We've got stories of, of how these churches began. And, and I've got to be honest, as we walk through the history of the church, man, it is, it is a hard history. The, the early church, man, you want to talk about a struggle. Um, some of the early church fathers have said, and I've said this before, that the church was built on the blood of the martyrs. I mean, the early church was not built because of elegant writing. I mean, there really isn't much written uh, outside of maybe Origen and a couple others in that first 300 years. The church began because people, eyewitnesses to Christ, went out and gave their lives preaching the gospel. They said, I was there. I saw Jesus. And remember, who are they preaching to? They're preaching to multiple groups of people. They're, they start preaching to, to the Jews. They're preaching to the people who were in God's system, in this whole sacrificial law system. And they're saying, He is the Messiah. Some loved that and worshipped Him. Some hated them and tried to kill them. And many successfully did. To where all but one disciple was killed for sharing their faith. But the church spread rapidly. It spread very quickly, mostly west into Europe, later into um, kind of the east. But it spread quickly. 
Um, many historians have different ideas as to why it spread. One of the biggest ones being the fact that many of them were eyewitnesses, like I just said. I mean, when, you, when you saw Jesus, when you were there, when you saw him on the cross, then you saw his post-resurrected body. I mean, that puts a fire in your bones that you're, you're willing to die for, huh? I mean, many of us in this day and age are dying for it now and they didn't even see it. Imagine the passion when you saw it, when you were there. Now then, the church taking on widows and orphans and the poor in a way that no one else was in the first century. I mean, Christians were very, very different. And then, like I said, the voice of the martyrs. You want to talk about being martyred first three centuries, just massive amounts of bloodshed. Because to be a Christian was to be different. And to be different got you thrown in with the lions. To be different meant that you're not praising Caesar, that you're praising Jesus. And anytime you're different, you're standing against what someone else believes, and that is offensive. It's still offensive. You know, I met with a, a good friend of mine this week who's, who's faced with kind of a, a hard decision where, where his absence in a certain ceremony that's about to come up is going to be seen as offensive, as bigoted, as hateful. When you stand against something and stand for something, the world doesn't like that. And in first multiple centuries, they got you killed. But it also spread the church like crazy. Everywhere Paul and the disciples went, they planted churches, they appointed elders, and the gospel was spread through the words of the gospel that Jesus Christ is Messiah, breaking down this wall of hostility. And, and it, honestly, it's a, it's a hard sell, but it's an easy sell, because everyone feels that wall. Whether or not you can admit it, everyone feels that wall. And so the church spread. Then Constantine came and really changed everything because you had a really, um, I would say, kind of more an organic church and house church. And then Constantine comes in kind of fourth century and, and people debate as to whether or not he was a true Christian or not and, and to the motives behind it. But he essentially Christianized the state. So Rome became a Christian nation for better or worse, probably for worse in the long run. Now we had a huge mingling of church and state with, with the rise of papal authority, with the institution of the, the whole Catholic Church very much being uh, a part of uh, government. As many of you know, when the two of those come together, much corruption happens. People say, well, they can't be mixed because you can't legislate morality. I don't think that's right. I think all law is moral. I don't think you can legislate worship. But what happens is the church and the state combined from Constantine, really going into um, what you guys will know as the Middle Ages or the Dark Ages, going through this whole period, kind of at the, the height of 8th century, and then moving up, all leading towards what we know as the Reformation, where through names like Zwingli and Luther and Calvin and Beza and Tyndale, some of the, some of the greats that we know said, no, 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 this is not right. Through, through issues over salvation and scripture and authority, they said, we got to pull away here. We're getting a few major things wrong. They said, salvation alone, through grace alone, through faith alone. And really from there, you have the inception of, of multiple churches coming out of one centralized kind of city-state church. You've got the Presbyterians, uh, you've got the Anabaptists, which we kind of came out of eventually. Um, 
you've got Lutherans, and you've got Anglicans. Those are kind of the main ones that came out of the original Reformation. And from there, as you can imagine, as people got the Bible in their hands, as they were reading it, that was a huge change, 16th century. As Luther was, was reading it, and he was saying, wait a second, some things don't add up here. And as more and more people were doing that, uh, more and more people uh, started forming different denominations as, as we interpret things a little bit differently. That's why on your way to church here, you pass places like Calvin Presbyterian and Grace Lutheran, um, Circle Church of Christ, all these different denominations essentially coming out of this movement away from uh, kind of the, the government-run church in, uh, in Europe. It's a huge change to where we are today, where there's a lot of freedom in places like the U.S., where there are many different churches that have slightly different beliefs. I mean, there are tons of denominations. I was thinking, uh, I was trying to look up how many denominations there were. It's, it's a number that's kind of ridiculous. It depends upon what your definition is, but it's in the tens of thousands. I mean, there's, there's many, many denominations. And so that, that is the, uh, the kind of the walkthrough quick history of of the how, and that is, that is how we got here as a whole, from, from one nation, from being on the outside of Commonwealth of Israel, to, to Christ coming, to opening up the whole church, to, to one main church in the Catholic Church, to splitting off, to Protestantism, to where we have many churches today. That's kind of the how. I, I think that's important. Maybe some of you don't care as much, but I, I, I really think that's important. I'm going to share a little bit why, but... We're going to talk about the why now. Why? What's the church for? What's the church's job? What is the church's job? You ever ask those questions? Why is it necessary? I said it earlier. There are many in our community who, who don't think the church is necessary at all. There are many in the world who don't come to a service, who aren't part of a body. Why is the church necessary? I'm going to, I'm going to jump ahead here uh, in your same text. Let's go to chapter 3. Verse 10. This is going to give us the key as to why the church exists. We read this. So that through the man, sorry, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I'm going to read that one more time. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The ultimate goal of the church, like I said in the very beginning, is that we display God. That is, who, that is what the church is for. We are a display of God's handiwork, and this is where it starts. And I'm going to tell you why it starts here. Displaying the goodness and righteousness and holiness of God starts with a right understanding of how you are saved. It all starts with that understanding. Let's go back to verse 11, where we, where we started the whole thing. There's a little word there that says, therefore. Therefore, remember at one time. We just spent a lot of time remembering. Right? Remembering where we came from as a, as a church. But he also is saying, remember where you came from as an individual. That, that's why that word therefore is there. Well, we've got to go back and see why it's there. So let's go Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Very famous verse, verse that sets precedent for all of this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This therefore that he says in 11 is a response to, to how we got saved. Our church starts with individuals. It is a community of believers, but it starts with individuals who were saved how? By grace. Our witness as a body, our ability to show how good God is, starts with our understanding of grace. That's why I had to start here in January. It all starts with grace. See, when you understand that you're saved by grace, there is no room for egotism here. There's no room for self-pity. There's no room for not belonging. No one's more important than anyone else. When it starts with grace, when you understand that you were saved when? When were you saved? He says it in verse 5 of chapter 2. He says, when you were dead in your trespasses, you were saved. When, when we as a body understand and really feel the weight that we were saved by grace, we are free. We are free in a thousand ways to love every person here equally. We are free in a thousand ways to, to, to belong, to be known here. Because you have nothing to hide. There, there's no pride. There's no arrogance. There's only thankfulness with grace. That's all we have. Because no one here was saved because you were awesome. You, you have to know that. We were saved when there was a dividing wall of hostility. Christ saved us, which, which has so many implications here. I'm going to say this. It means you shouldn't come here and hide. That's a fool's game. It's a fool's game to come in here and take what you want and leave. Because we're a family saved by grace. No one's greater than anyone else. Rich isn't better than uh, the little baby crying who had their number up earlier. I know that because she's my baby probably. <laughs> I lied. Mine's not here, but usually that's her. We're in this together. When you're saved by grace, you're a family. Right? You ever think about the dynamics of a family? I'll close with this. I'm, I'm, I'm running a bit here. I'll close with this. I, I thought about my family this week, and I think about my eight-month-old. I have a, a daughter, Whitney, just as cute as can be. But she is pretty helpless, honestly. Um, can't feed herself, can't clothe herself, always needs a ride everywhere. I'm just constantly asking for rides. Um, doesn't even know how to pretend yet. That's the fun thing with babies. They don't know how to pretend yet. Am I just going to leave her on her own because she's a, she's a young baby? Absolutely not. Same in the church. You know, we've got young Christians here. Do we leave them on their own in their mess? No, we, we bring them along. How about, a, how about a toddler? i got a three-year-old, just about three-year-old, little sweetie. Um, toddlers know what's right, but they just don't like to do it yet. Right? Like last night, 9, 30, 10. I'm awake, Daddy. I'm awake. I'm like, hey, I hear that. I'm trying to study. Um, so I go in there. You know, she's sitting on her bed. I'm awake. I'm like, I know. Why? You know, what time is it? It's bedtime. What are you supposed to do? I'm supposed to sleep. Uh, why aren't you sleeping? Because I'm awake. <laughs> why? Because I don't want to go to sleep. You know, and I think baby Christians are like this too. You know, a lot of us, we've been in church long enough to know what we want to do, but we're not mature enough to, to like it yet. 
You know, so whether that's being in the Word, whether that's joining a community group, we, we can think of all these excuses as to why, you know, it's just so much easier to show up on Sunday than leave. And then you think about someone who's a little bit older, maybe, maybe a rebellious teenager, right? No parent in their right mind just sits back and says, ah, you're almost 18, you're going to be out of the house, it's your deal, whatever, do what you want. You're not going to be my problem. No one does that. I have seen countless parents, my own included, with tears, weeping for kids, praying for years and years and years that wayward kids would come back. Right? And as a church, I mean, that's us. Like, we need to rally around those who, who maybe are on the fringes, who maybe aren't connected, who maybe are making poor choices. Because when you're saved by grace, we're together here. No one's better than anyone else. We're all saved by grace. So why the church? The church displays God's infinite wisdom in saving people like me. And the church functions to show who God is by a people who understand that we are saved, not because of anything I did, but because of Christ who died when I was in the thick of my transgressions. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we are a people saved by grace. And grace alone and grace frees us to belong, to be known, to worship you well, to praise your name as, as a God who, who brought us from death to life, not because of me, but because of you. Lord, I thank you for preserving your church like you promised you would. I thank you for bringing Christ, for inaugurating in a whole new time and a whole new era when all, all nations, all peoples are part of what you're doing. Lord, I thank you for your infinite wisdom in creating Israel and in showing yourself to a people and then setting that free, Lord, and opening it up to all peoples through faith in Christ alone. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for your church. Amen.